Welcome to another crossover episode of the Always Irish and Under the Dome podcast. I am Ben Belden. You can find me on Twitter at RealBBelden. That's B-E-L-D-E-N on the last name. People like to misspell that these days. Um, so, you know, uh, that's me kind of, um, you know, I'm a teacher and kids never know how to spell my last name, which baffles me. But anyway, I digress. That's not that, by the way, that's not that hard of a last name. Well, I guess they have to enunciate. Like, I say Belden a lot and people think it's an O. And so I guess I need to start saying Belden. Um, so anyway, whatever. So, um <laughs> I'm already in an angsty mood. John and I have been talking a little bit off the airwaves. Um, it's been about uh, about two weeks since I've gotten behind the microphone and talked to Notre Dame football because real life just happened. So you haven't heard my voice since uh, before the Georgia game, and you know I didn't I didn't record a Georgia reaction, and you know we're not going to talk about Georgia all that much. I'm really what I've you know kind of talked to John about is that I want to talk about like big picture Notre Dame stuff, and obviously we're going to reference Georgia and Virginia and how we do that and that type of stuff. But you know just uh, you know John can kind of elaborate on our thoughts on this a little bit, but we just sort of feel as though. You know, it, it's a uh, it, it's a interesting time to be a Notre Dame fan. It's a little bit frustrated. I'm frustrated. You're going to hear those frustrations here in a second. John's really excited about those things. Um, so, I don't know, John. What did I miss? <laughs> Frustration's my starting point, so I'm good. Um, <clears throat> so uh, obviously, you you can follow Ben where he's at. Uh, Always Irish. Type it in YouTube, um, Twitter at jkznd4. Just type in Always Irish. You'll find me there. Um, so here's here's where we started, and we were talking before we hit record here. Um, it's a really unique feeling. It seems like very rarely with Notre Dame are things clearly black or clearly white where everybody's on the same boat. And I think we're having another just a year where there's a lot of gray area. And you struggle as a Notre Dame fan to – justify what you should feel about what and overall and there's so much to like and so many pleasant surprises so far and on the other side there's so many things that are continually frustrating and that we don't understand and I want answers to why they're happening and and so I think what we find ourselves in as Notre Dame fans is in this gray area where there's so much to like and so many things that we just feel should be further along and and it's it's preventing us from having this well-rounded you know everything moving in the same direction and improving attitude and it's just really kind of awkward to figure out exactly where where you stand and where you're justified to have frustrations and question things and and balancing that out with some pleasant surprises and so we're just living in this gray area and this just might be one of those years where that's where you have to occupy and live week to week. That's how I see it. That's how I feel. Yeah, and I'm going to sort of get into my first, I don't know, bullet pointed. I actually like prepared a few notes here, um, kind of your style type of thing. It's not something I usually do, but my first bullet point here in a second. But I think that that gray area is especially magnified for me, and we're going to talk about this later, so we don't need to get in a full discussion about this. Uh, but I think it's magnified for me is that, you know, this defense looks like it's pretty good. And the other part of that is I think it's going to remain good for a few seasons. And by golly, if we don't figure out how to do something on offense, I'm going to lose my freaking mind. So that brings me to my first point. Okay. Uh, 
you know, I know you've got some stats that you're going to throw out there that I'm not privy to, and I'm anxious to hear them. But basically where I'm at with this football team right now after watching both the Georgia and the Virginia games, and like I say, I haven't talked about this, you know, I mean, I haven't talked about this at all because I haven't podcasted since before the Georgia game, which is my fault, but whatever, uh, that this that we've got a championship-level defense that can just knock the crud out of people and that can just, you know, I really think that against Virginia, they didn't necessarily bring their A game for the first uh, for the first half of football. They kind of came with, you know, BV plus type of a game and then just were like, you know what, this is frustrating. We're going to take our frustrations out on a team that's not as good as us and just absolutely dominated the daylights out of the second half of that football game. And to me, I'm like, that's awesome. Thank you. I've been waiting to see that for forever. Um, you know, Notre Dame hasn't had a defensive line that could do what it did against Virginia, which is just absolutely take over the football game since I, probably before I was freaking born. But then on the other side of the football, you know, we can't move the football in a way that just lets us pound teams. And I'm thinking back and I watch all these other football teams that are just not good football players and they are scoring 40, 50 points effortlessly most of the time. I mean, for crying out loud, UCLA put up 67 against Washington State, and I thought Washington State was a pretty decent football team. And so, I don't know. I'm frustrated. Um, I don't really get too animated all that often, but, like, it's just it's just like, dang it. Like, and there's a lot of places to cast the blame, I think, which is the other frustrating part. Like, it's not like you can just fix one thing, and I don't know. So... I don't know what you have to say to that. I, I didn't really lead I, well, in very the, well the for first, you. The first thing I want to say is I, I myself also don't get animated often. So it might be rare. <laughs> it, it might be rare for me to do so tonight. Um, I Here's, okay. Let, before I get into the, I have two specific stat lines that I want to bring up to you and get your, and ask you a couple questions about and see if your answers match align with mine but before I get into those specifics about the offense I I put this out on Twitter too my frustration is execution is one thing or problems with it but the bigger picture is I don't know what our identity is offensively I like I just don't know who we are or what we can rely on in crunch time or what they're go into a game and say, I know what we're going to try and accomplish here. And it seems like it's grab bagging week to week. And you're not a power running team, obviously. Um, And you're not a USC spread it around, throw it all over because we don't throw the ball more than 20 yards down the field. So you're playing in a rectangle, a 20 yard rectangle. And so we're stuck in this middle ground. and, And I just ask myself, are we going to be able to run through the rest of this schedule and win all these games grab bagging on offense? And, and I just, it makes me on, maybe you can, but I would feel more comfortable if I knew here's what we're trying to accomplish. And there's, there's no identity. Do you agree with that? Or am I just seeing things? No, that's what is, Ben, what is this offense? What yeah. are they trying to do? That's exactly how I feel to be honest with you. Like, you know, I, to me, and I've said this before on podcasts and I've written it a few times as well. It's just like, you know, is this, 
what we're not uh, here's what we're not all right we're not wisconsin okay we're not gonna line it up and run it at you but we're not a team like you said like usc washington state pac-12 big 12 that type of thing they can throw it all over it's like we're trying to be this something in the middle and this something in the middle is more of like the rpo type of thing or whatever the two tight ends but you got tight ends that can also kind of double as receivers and it's all just this in limbo stuff And I feel like part of my frustration is that when Chip Long was hired as the offensive coordinator, what was sold to Notre Dame fans is, well, we're going to be able to throw the ball effectively to, you know, we're going to run these two tight end sets. We're going to be able to just punch teams in the mouth with our running game when we want to. And then when they they load up on that, then we're going to be able to keep the same personnel and our tight ends are going to be important and we're, they're going to be catching passes down the down the seams and you know throwing it to, to big wide receivers like Chase Claypool like all of that was what the billing was and I was like okay that's awesome because I'd love to keep like some of the spread concepts and and the uh, read options and that type of thing um, that you know was kind of more of the Brian Kelly type um offense before chip long got here but then add that chip long aspect where we're running the ball down teams throats and like that's just not what we got we've got none of the none of the running the ball down teams throats and to say that we don't have the personnel to do it is just horse garbage like i mean i know jafar armstrong is hurt that's fine but if you look at the best plays from the Virginia game on on Saturday, Sebo Flemister straight down, you know, <clears throat> running downhill, running through people. You can't run through people if you're running sideways. So that's I mean, that's just I don't know. Like run the ball downhill and 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 play off of that. But like we just don't. We we want to run these gimmicky plays. Uh, I was texting you about it like the flea flicker against Georgia, like it's been about two, almost two weeks now, and I still haven't gotten over the fact that we ran a dang flea flicker against Georgia while we were had our best offensive drive against uh, in the game. Like, just run the ball, run some play action, and just like I'd rather us be Wisconsin and, and abandon this whole spread concept and just run down teams' throats and have just like a boring offense that scores <laughs> points. I might add, but. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. The the identity crisis is a is a major issue in my mind. And so, okay, so so that's just obvious from just looking at it, and and it looks it looks and feels disjointed. There doesn't seem to be much flow or rhythm, and it just looks cho- choppy. Is the way I've been that the word that's been coming to my mind. And it's like sometimes it's okay, and we got a little rhythm, and then we don't, and then we try to, and we so. It's just annoying. It's really annoying. And so, but the question is, how do you fix it? Like, are these issues with scheme, play calling, O-line up, you know, their plays up and down? Is it the injuries with the running backs and then the receivers? Is it Ian Book? Or is it a little bit of all of it? And I think it's a little bit of all of what I just said. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I would hate to be an offensive lineman for Notre Dame for, because to me, like Notre Dame, when they're running the ball and I know that there's a time and a place for this. I'm not saying that every play you just need to just line up and just go straight ahead. But like, when does Notre Dame's offensive line? And and I know that like people were kind of nitpicking the offensive line and saying they, they aren't playing well and that type of thing. And I sort of agree, but like, when are you just going to let the offensive line just line up and hit somebody 
Like to me, it just is like they don't have the opportunity to play physical. They don't. They don't call run plays that just you know just say, "Hey, Tommy Kramer, there's a guy across from you. Beat him. Just plow him into the ground." It's always you're always trying to pull a guard and pull multiple offensive linemen and get out in front, and it's slow developing, and it's like. I just want on offense to let our big 300 pound dudes just hit somebody like that to me to me that's one of the biggest issues is that they just don't get in my opinion the opportunity to be as physical as I think you know Tommy Kramer's a big physical dude like that's that was the billing on Tommy Kramer when he came to Notre Dame was that he is going to just maul people well he he's not really able to do that if he's trying to pull out in front of uh, ball carriers in space all the time. And so I think that's a major, a major issue. Um, uh, you know, a, a lot of the other things, Ian book is sort of a major issue. And I, I think we're going to get to him in a second. Um, but all right, let me, okay. So let me stop you here and okay. give you a rushing stat. Okay. Yep. So this is from Virginia only, right? When we ran, running plays with a two tight end on the line set 156 yards three touchdowns almost seven and a half yards per carry when we ran regular personnel 34 yards barely 2.8 yards per carry so what do you make of that is it that they're in there to block and and then that's why there's an opening suddenly like, I mean, that's one conclusion that comes to my mind. Does that indicate that just the offensive line alone can't open those holes without some help? Or what do you make of that? Because I have an idea of some stuff you can run. If that's where you're having success, I have no problem running that more often. And then you know what? One of those times instead of blocking, you got a tight end right up the seam. Boom, surprise. A guy drops into the flat. Boom, surprise. But if that's what it takes to run a power running game, I'm fine with it. What do you What do you make of that differential stat line? First of all, that's uh, that's interesting. I um, I'm a little bit surprised by that, to be honest with you. So my mind's kind of spinning a little bit. The only thing that I can kind of think of is that I, I think the emergence of Cole Komet has teams as a pass catcher has teams with Virginia, obviously, kind of thinking about, okay, how are we going to cover this guy as opposed to what are we going to do if he blocks, if that makes sense. Um, And so obviously there's another tight end on there, and I would venture to say that most of the time that was Tremble. Um, And I think that, I mean, the same thing with him. They're not necessarily thinking that when Tommy Tremble comes into the game that he's necessarily going to be you know, a power blocker, although there is, you know, a very nice clip of Tremble, just a couple nice clips, I guess I should say, of Tremble blocking really well in the run game. So that's really all I can, all I can really think of is that I think Virginia maybe was kind of like, okay, how's Notre Dame going to try to use these guys in the passing game? And maybe that opened up, you know, a a, a running lane. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I, I mean, I'm almost to the point where, if you find something that's giving you some consistency, any consistency, I'm fine kind of trying to build off that a little bit because at least it's something that's that you can – the numbers are different enough that, that you feel like you're going to be able to have success with that. I know that's a small sample size one-game thing, 
But but it, it did honestly make me think, is that an indicator that the O-line just can't get it done on their own? And they, they need that extra blocking to be that efficient. Because they've been up and down, Ben. I mean, they haven't been terrible, but they haven't been good. And I get annoyed with this, oh, tight, uh, tight end, uh, O-line you stuff. Not right now. They're not running people over. They're just not. And maybe you're right. They're not put in a good position to. But it's all of it. That's the hard thing, man. There's like five different things you could point to that are all putting us in this in-between offensive state. And it's just hard to watch. It's just hard. Yeah. And here's kind of maybe a simpler way to say what I was saying earlier. Like, I think it it, it makes sense to me because that – that lineup with two tight ends is, you know, running the ball more effectively. But the other part of that is just that, you know, sometimes it's just best to get your best 11 dudes on the field. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't know that Chris Fink is one of our best 11 dudes right now. And, you know, I know that I've seen you tweet about this and I don't know exactly where I stand about this, but, you know, I, I think putting him in a different spot than he was used to, to start the season had something to do with that. Um, I've heard some people say that they think he's playing a little bit hurt. He's nicked up in some way, shape, or form, uh, and that's having something to do with it. Um, but I, I just think that our bottom line is that I think our best personnel are you know two wide receivers. I, 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 Cole Komet is definitely one of the best 11 on offense, uh, and Tommy Tremble might be better for what Notre Dame wants to do than Chris Fink is a lot of the time. So take that how you want. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think – it's an arguable point that Fink has struggled so far. I mean, you're used to him being so ultra reliable and in some big spots, he just hasn't been. And it's just, it's just not what you expect out of him in his last year. And, and it's just, it's just really, it's frustrating. I mean, big situation in Georgia that didn't go his way. And then, with the game in doubt against Virginia made a mistake that you just can never make. Yeah. And, and it's just, I mean, I, it's just really frustrating. You're used to being able to count on his hands no matter what. And it's just not happening. I mean, my first theory was him having to move around positions because of the receiver injuries threw off his comfort, his timing, you know, whatever. And, but I just expected us to be moving out of that by now. Yeah. And it just kind of put a bow on what I was saying. Like, if the defense doesn't have to worry about Chris Fink over the middle at all, then that's another person that they can devote to keeping an extra eye in the backfield, you know, against the run game. So maybe that has something to do with it as well. Maybe defenses are kind of, are more afraid of what Tommy Trimble can do running down the seam than they are about what Chris Fink can do, you know, catching balls over the middle and, you know, catching those, um, you know, drag routes and, and slants over the middle and all that stuff. So uh, I don't know. Like you now, said, now let me ask this when, when and if Jafar comes back, do you expect to see an offensive philosophy shift focused more on him if he comes back and he's healthy? Like, do you think that's what rocked this all, was that he was this this lead back and they were going to use him in the passing game a lot, those little short passes and all that? And then right when that happened, everything blew up and they haven't figured it out? Like, I mean, that's... a. I, I'm just grasping for for straws because I don't have any good solutions. Yeah, I do think that they got real excited about um, some of those plays, like that, you know, because I think back to what they used to do with like Theo Riddick and Sierra Wood and some of those other like 
tweener guys that are sort of wide receivers, sort of running backs. And I do think that they got excited about, you know, the possibility of doing some of those types of things with Jafar Armstrong. And I'm sure that that took a, a chunk out of the playbook because uh, you don't really have another guy that could do that. I mean, Sebo Flemister is kind of similar in that, but he doesn't have the type of experience that Armstrong has. So you probably didn't want to, you know, throw him out there against Georgia doing that type of stuff. Um, so I don't know. I think, you know, when we saw Jafar Armstrong against Louisville for, you know, the six plays that he played, I mean, he touched the ball on darn near every play uh, to, in that drive. Uh, you know, four or five of them were in the run game, and then he caught that, you know, that drag route that ultimately was the play where he got hurt and came up gimpy with the groin and whatnot. So, you know, that might have something to do with it. I, I think that with Jafar out there, you can do some different things. I mean, you could almost basically have him and another uh, running back in there and have Jafar play quote-unquote receiver or motion out of the backfield. And just, you know, it just definitely, I think takes away from their flexibility and what they can do. And it, it just makes them a little bit more predictable without him in there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I'm to the point where I would rather they sell out on trying to do something. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but at least try and is, establish it and build on it and do it repetitively. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But this, Grab bag stuff, some of this, some of that, a little of this, a little of that. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it looks like we never even ran it before. It, it's driving me crazy. And I just don't, right now, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel of it. That's the freaky part. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I don't see, I keep waiting for it to click. And I'm just not, I, I don't see it. Yeah, and I think, to sort of echo your point, like, Last year, the light at the end of the tunnel was Ian Book coming in to replace Brandon Wimbush. Like, what the heck is the light at the end of the tunnel now? <laughs> like, I don't think well, it's, I don't think it's at Phil. Least, even with that, whoever was the quarterback, you knew you were going to have Dexter coming back, and that's a possible touchdown every single time he touches it. See? So that's a part of it, too, because you don't have that right now, you know? I tend to agree, yeah. And, and that's tough because, I mean, you could just – one little handoff at Virginia Tech, he makes one cut, and he's 98 yards, changes the whole game. We don't have that on the roster right now. And so I get that they're handcuffed, but that's what Long and Kelly are getting paid for. Figure something out, man. Yeah, yeah. and Figure and, it out. And to that point, like, do other teams <laughs> – and I know the answer to this. This is a rhetorical question, but do other teams – lose one dude and their whole offense goes to garbage. I mean, outside of their quarterback, like I don't think that there's another team that like you think of as a good offensive team that could just lose one running back slash receiver. And then, then their offense goes to, goes to junk. Like, so I don't know. So I, I oh gosh, I, I struggle. I don't get tongue tied very often. I don't think I don't get a loss for words very often, but like at this point, this that's just kind of where I am. Well, if you're struggling about the running game, wait till I start bringing up Ian Book. Let's go for it. Let's All go right. for it. <laughs> All right. All right. So I'm just going to throw this at you to start. Okay. Now, we can argue all day whether some people believe in the year two Brian Kelly quarterback regression theory. Other people don't. Other people say uh, – you can't just because some things happened, you can't blame it all on him. There were injuries, other things involved. 
fine. Let's let that go. And I'm just going to throw this at you. Third down passing, Ian Book, okay? 2018, 66%, 158 quarterback rating on third down passes. So far this year, 52%, 84 rating. I don't see any... You cannot argue to me that is not regression and major regression. Can you? Can you say that's just random? Well, the numbers certainly are regression. I mean, that's not arguable. But I guess what I would ask as a more context for those numbers is I feel like last year in third down, he was facing third and three, third and four very often. And this year in third down, he's seeing third and nine, third and 10, third and frickin' 12 a lot more often because of penalties, because of a lack of a run game and that type of thing. So that's what I would say because it to me it just doesn't feel like, you know, Notre Dame has had a handful of possessions this year that like have gone really well, like a small handful. Like I'm talking like two in each game maybe. Um, and when they're doing that, you know, he looks really good. And, and a lot of times that's at the beginning of the game, I might add, where – the, where it's scripted, right? Um, but throughout the course of games, you know, things are not going well for the Notre Dame offense. And I don't think it's just Ian Book. I'm not one of those people who believes in the second year regression thing. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, I just think that there's a lot of problems with this offense and that it's easy to kind of look at Ian Book because he's the guy that touches the ball in every play. I mean, I, okay, fine, but you're the quarterback. So, yeah, everybody's looking at you. You're the Notre Dame quarterback. You're going to be under the microscope. People are going to spe- expect a lot of you. And I, he just looks spooked out there. He looks uncomfortable. He looks unsure. He looks jittery. Very rarely does he look poised in the pocket. Um just the progressions are weird. He's not seeing guys that are wide open. He's he's bailing before he needs to. Um, and those are just nuanced things that you would expect to improve uh, with a whole other year of knowing you're the starting quarterback. Now, I'll give you a great example. This is a small, tiny thing, but a perfect example of what I mean that I don't understand. The first, first offensive play against Virginia Not only does he bail early and run to the sideline, but he takes a five-yard loss by going out of bounds instead of throwing the ball into the stands. That is like a tiny little thing that I just don't understand. Like, why why is he doing it? I just, I don't get it. He does not look comfortable. He looks like he thinks every defense is the Clemson defensive line coming at him still. That's what it looks like. I sort of have He's a theory. He's not comfortable. It drives me nuts. I agree. And I sort of have a theory. And I have to sort of tip my cap to uh, one of my colleagues, Nathan Erbach, for putting this. He said it to me. He put it in terms that was, uh, you know, I kind of had felt this way. But the way he had put it to me made sense. And basically what Nathan had said, and I wholeheartedly agree with this, is that um, if you think about last year, I think part of, you know, our assessment of Ian Book was – Ian Book as he looked compared to Brandon Wimbush, right? So I think he kind of came in and he was just better than Wimbush. And we were just like, oh my gosh, we found the quarterback. He's the heir apparent, blah, blah, blah. In conjunction with that, you know, I think they spent all offseason last year 
um, you know, before 2018, preparing this offense for a quarterback that was going to go basically one read and run it, right? Because that's what Brandon Wimbush did. One or two reads, and then he was going to run the ball because he was Brandon Wimbush, and that's just what his game was. And then you throw Ian Book in there, and it's basically the same offense, and it was one or two reads, and, you know, I, I think Brandon Wimbush, I mean, I think Ian Book, to a certain extent, was one or two reads and run it. Well, I think now, ahead of this year, they were like, okay, Ian, like, you got to run this sort of watered-down version that was prepared for Brandon Wimbush. We're going to bring out the big guns, and we expect you to start reading the whole field a little bit more and, and calling these, I, I don't know, and doing more in the pocket in a shorter amount of time. You need to take this next step as a quarterback. Here's what we got for you. And I just think that he hasn't accepted, not that he hasn't accepted, but he hasn't felt comfortable in that role. And, and you know, I think that that's real. And part of my question is, okay, why? Uh, I, I, you know, there is speculation among people that, that Book will be back next year. I mean, he has a year of eligibility. And I think if that's the case, that he's going to be a lot better of a quarterback if he comes back next year. Um, but there's also a part of me that wants to ask, okay, well, if you've given him all this stuff to read and he can't do it yet, run more of the stuff that you ran last year and water it down for him a little bit because it seems like watering it down and just making him a distributor is better than putting all of this decision-making on him that it seems to me that they're putting on him. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense. I, I mean, and I'm, I don't sit in coaches' meetings either. And But that would be, if I got to ask Brian Kelly or Chip Long, like, compare, you know, what you asked Ian Book to do in 2018 versus what you're asking him to do, how much more are you asking him to do? I would bet that they would say that they ask him to, to do a lot more this year and that he hasn't necessarily excelled in doing more and like I say my follow-up would be like well why not water it down a little bit this year so that the offense can can perform a little better so I don't know what the answer is but I, I do think that you know I, I do think that he's uncomfortable and I think that it's both an Ian book and a coaching staff issue that he's uncomfortable out there I I, I mean okay fine so but but it's like oh we were looking through this light of him being better than than Wimbush and then the next natural progression is that we look for him to be a better better version of himself. And I don't think that's unreasonable to expect that the more experience somebody has, the more natural they would become at what they're doing, whether it's your job or being a quarterback. Like, so fine. Uh, I would rather, if that's where we're at, if this is like Mitch Trubisky situation where it's too much and you have to pare it back down, Fine. I would rather you cut the playbook in half and be great at the half you're doing. I, I'm fine with that. Like, if that's what we need to do. But I don't, I am kind of a believer in the second year thing because you name the one who's gotten obviously much better the longer they're in the program. I can't name one. Well, I can't name one. Which one got noticeably better? Where I'm like, wow, he looks way better than last year. Can't name it. Which one really even played in year two? Well, maybe that's a part of this issue, too. Why can't Notre Dame get a quarterback in there and let him play three or four years and get better? Why does that not happen here? That part I absolutely agree with. Why uh, does that not happen? Look at Jake Fromm. He's a great example of this. First start ever at Notre Dame Stadium a few years, a couple years ago. Then he got better and better and more comfortable, more efficient. And now he's really, really good. And he made every throw he needed to make to win the game. Like, why is that not our quarterback arc? Am I asking for too much? 
No, I don't. I, and I think I think that's a great point. That I mean, Jake Fromm, because when he played at South Bend in 2017, I mean, that was a watered down version of the playbook. I mean, you could see a nice trajectory of Jake Fromm. And I think you said this on one of your podcasts. You know, I, I, probably the one right after Georgia. You you still see a nice trajectory out of that kid, and now here he is as a you know a three year starter in his third year as a starter, I guess I should say, and. Now he's doing those types of things. The fact is, I think that Ian Book isn't in his third year of a starter. Notre Dame just hasn't done that. I mean, it's been since probably like Brady Quinn and Jimmy Clausen, I think both played as freshmen. And, you know, they, I mean, Brian Kelly was not here for either of those guys. But um, I don't know. I think that, uh, I, I think that you see Notre Dame hasn't had a quarterback that's come in as a, as an underclassman that has been good enough to get on the field as a freshman or even really even as a sophomore a lot that has taken the taken the reins and really progressed over two or three years. And, you know, and what I'll say real quickly about, you know, the, the quarterback developing thing is like the one person that people, I guess, could, um, could kind of point to would be Deshaun Kaiser. Um, you know, he played most of 2015 and then came back and, had only uh, had a little bit of worse numbers, but like kind of similar numbers in 2016. Um, first of all, I don't know that Deshaun Kaiser's the guy that you want to put up there as like good Notre Dame quarterbacks because I mean he went to the NFL and it's not like NFL coaching is is doing him a lot of good either. So I don't know. Like it, it is frustrating. Like and I know some people and you know slap the sign is a little bit. Um, <laughs> to, to blame for this conversation a little bit, but I know some people on social media are like, well, why not throw out Phil at least against Bowling Green and, and see what Phil can do and see if we can start this development. Um, I, I don't know. Like that's a slippery slope. I think, you know, benching a quarterback and when you still have a chance at the college football playoff. So I don't well, know. Well, let's see the Phil. See, that's, that's where I was going next. So I'm glad you led into that because people are saying, well, the season started last year, and in the middle of the season, you upgraded and switched quarterbacks and did just fine. And then, and then they'll say, "Well, why can't you try that this year?" And then, what I've heard back from the people—not me, but the people that are actually in the know and at all these practices—say that's a bad move because Phil's nowhere ready for that. Well, then that makes me mad too. Why is he three years in the program and nowhere ready to compete? When all I heard about was that he's an athletic freak, cannon for an arm, can do everything. That's what he was built up as coming in here three years ago. So what's going on with quarterback development? That So that's the problem with the put Phil in. Well, he's not ready. How many years does it take to be ready? Four? Like, I see freshmen out there throwing the ball all over and winning games. And I got to believe this athletic freak isn't ready after three years. Like, it's, it's, I don't understand it. Other teams can figure this stuff out, and we don't? Why? Uh. <laughs> Why is that kid not ready to compete after three years? That doesn't seem normal to me. Uh, I, I don't know what to say to you, to be honest with you. Uh. <laughs> but this, this, these are the things that, that's why the way I am, Ben, because this stuff drives me crazy. And I see other teams with way less talent that could figure this stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly hurts, you know, when you watch, you know, teams with that don't get even the high four star guys that Notre Dame get, you know, go out and, you know, play against. I mean, Eric Dungy at Syracuse is a great example. Like, was that kid a great quarterback? 
No, but he put up all of these Syracuse passing stats, uh, and Syracuse was scoring all these points. And you know, we saw as Notre Dame fans when that kid goes out of the game, Syracuse didn't have a daggone chance. Um, so I don't know. Like I just, gosh. But um, okay, let me let me ask you this then. So I kind of agree with you. They're not going to bail on book, right? Like right. that's just not realistic. That's not going to happen unless he gets hurt. Okay, so. Even if you want that, give it up. It ain't going to happen. Okay, so fine. But you reference next year. And so that's, I think, where I start thinking, if Book, say he doesn't improve, and this is just a plateau, and all years is inconsistent struggle, then it's a real question of, if you told me next year they expect Phil to compete, and you tell me he's an athletic freak, can make every throw, the huge arm, all this stuff, and he has this this ceiling that's a really high ceiling, that's a point where I start wondering, maybe that's a route I would rather go, and if it costs us a couple wins but ends up with this great high-end quarterback in a couple years, maybe I'm willing to do that if, if we're seeing the ceiling of book already, maybe. But what's he going to do? Go to the NFL? you got to throw the ball past 20 yards to play in the NFL. What's he going to do? Hold the clipboard? Well, here's what I'll say he's, about... He's not an NFL quarterback. Are you kidding no. me? Are you kidding me? So where's he going to go? Well, like, likely in that instance, he would graduate transfer and, and go somewhere else. And, and our luck is Notre Dame fans. He'd go somewhere and start lighting it up and then become an NFL quarterback. But that, I mean, that's a digression, I suppose. But like... Uh, I don't know. You, I think you got to be... And this was a point that I wanted to get to, so I'm glad you put it this way, too. Like... We haven't talked about the defense yet, and I think we're getting there. And I'm going to start referencing it as I kind of make this Ian Book argument. But, like, here's the thing. Like, we had major questions about this defense here in 2019 because we lost our two leading tacklers in the middle. And, you know, we, we didn't know at least about one cornerback position. And, you know, Jerry Tillery was gone and all that stuff. Okay? We had all these questions. Well, next year, here's the thing. Like, you're replacing Troy Pride you're replacing probably both defensive ends. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. And, uh, Jalen Elliott will be gone and that's about it. And so, uh, Alohi Gilman, uh, I was going to say, I think Gilman, yeah, Gilman. Yeah. yeah. It would have been nice to have that extra year. Thanks NCAA. Right. We could have had him play in a whole nother year. Yeah. And so, um, but the point is like, I don't th- like, I, and I think you and I kind of talked about this even before we started recording that like, Clark Lee, holy crap. Like, that guy's a good defensive coordinator. And, like, I don't think as Notre Dame fans we have to worry too much about the defense because we're getting Dalen Hayes back. He's going to fill that Okwara spot. Uh, Okwara spot. Say that five times fast. Uh, and then you've got other defensive linemen that are, you know, the Jacob Lacy's, the Adam Aloha twins, the uh, Hunter Spear. you got all these defensive linemen that it's like, I mean, Myron Tagovailoa Moses is going to be back. Like, Kirk Heinish is going to be back. Everyone's going to be back. And so I don't think you have to necessarily worry about, you know, a lot of these spots that you're replacing some of these guys on defense. And I think what Clark Lee has told us is that this defense is going to be good, even even though we're going to have to, you know, reload at certain positions. Uh, And so that's good. You know, that speaks to the type of thing that I was talking about, I guess, you know, before when we podcast about Georgia's that, you know, I think our, at the very least our floor has been raised. And and that's certainly true. If our defense is going to be that good year in and year out and make adjustments and do those types of things. 
so the I don't know you you kind of mentioned and that's what made me think of this is like well if we if we have a competition with Book and Djokovic you know coming into next year well if that costs us you know a, a game or two because Djokovic just needs to get his feet wet well are we losing a chance at the college football playoff then because and I don't know that how great Notre Dame's window is <laughs> to get there I, I don't know um, so. Ra- ra- okay, let's wrap a bow on the offense and the book thing, okay? And yep. then I want I want to get more into the defensive stuff because it's much more fun to talk about right now. But here's my long-range view. I always tell people on Twitter and on my show, I'm always looking at the big picture, and the big picture is playoff contention, right? And, and when I look at the teams that have not only get to the playoff but have success, they have good quarterbacks. And not just okay, but most of those teams have quarterbacks that you win because of. They make that throw. They make that play. And I just, I'm waiting to feel like we have one of those guys that we could work with and develop over two or three years and get to that point. And if Book, I mean, there's still plenty of time. He could snap out of this or figure something out. We get healthier and things start flowing better. But a part of me looking forward is that thought that that eventually you got to have a quarterback that can win you games in those big moments and at the highest level. And, and that's where I'm looking. And I just don't know if we're seeing the trajectory now that that's what it's going to be. And I know that's he's a tough kid. He's a smart kid, won a lot of gritty games, played hurt. I know all that, but he's physically limited and we already knew that when he was playing great and he got by because of the other stuff. Now he's physically limited and seems to be struggling upstairs. And that's why I think this is so dangerous. Like I could live with the phys- him not being the biggest arm and all that when he was making great decisions and seeing everything and threading in these throws and not missing guys that are open. And now I see that struggling too. So that's my long-term view is, when are we going to get a quarterback we could just develop for a few years into something at a top-end level eventually? That's where I think we need to get. Whoever it is, I don't care. But I would love to see it. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I think that, you know, uh, still, though, like if I'm thinking about – and if I'm just thinking about next year, and I get what you're saying as far as, you know, developing a guy over the course of multiple years, well, I think that says to me, well – give Ian Book, you know, his essentially his third year as a starter, I would trust Ian Book to go out next year in 2020. And I don't know, I don't have the 2020 schedule in front of me, but like to win a big game for the first time, you know, if we're counting on a quarterback to win it, to be that person that wins a big game for the first time, I'd rather have it. I feel more comfortable, comfortable thinking that it'll be Ian Book in year three as a starter than Phil Dracovic in year one, to be honest. You know, all I mean, of the- that, that's fine, but I, I mean, what is his arm going to muscle up and he'll be able to throw it 40 yards next year magically? See, I'm, I don't like, I, like, come on. I don't think, I don't think that we got athletes. They're scared to throw it to him down the field. Why? Why? Well, I don't think it's an arm Why? strength issue, to be honest with you. I, I don't think if he wasn't well, then physically, I'm even more mad. Well, <laughs> if he wasn't physically capable of throwing those balls, I, I don't I don't think he'd be playing ben, quarterback in another game. Ben, listen. Why can't all I hear about is this NFL Claypool? 
Why can you not give him two or three jump balls as far as you could throw it in a game and try and flip the field? Why? Every other team in America does it with less talent. Why can't we take two or three shots to an athletic freak and either get a P.I. call or he makes an acrobatic robot catch? Why Why is that asking too much? Why? I, I don't Everybody think it is. Everybody does it. But but I guess I guess what I'm saying is that there have been some really darn good quarterbacks that didn't have stellar arms. Um, I mean, Peyton Manning comes to mind. Now, is he in book Peyton Manning? Absolutely not. But like, I, I don't know. And and to, I think you also got to be careful to say like, why can't we just throw up balls to guys like Chase Claypool? Because you know. I mean, to okay, so for a deep ball to, to happen, obviously, A, it's got to be called. That's number one. Uh, and I'm not sure it's being called a whole lot. And I think that's what you're saying. But, like, B, the defense has to be in the right defense. I mean, if they're sitting back in cover three, you can't throw up, you know, a deep ball into a corner and a safety. But yeah. why would anybody ever play that against Notre Dame when there's no threat of it? Because they only got – well, they only have about one guy that there's any type of a threat. So you put a guy over top of him every single time, and then it's like, who, I, I who just, are you throwing it to listen, on the other side? I, I see teams with no-name players that are lowly recruited on every pack, not pack, 12, midnight, whatever it is, and I see teams throwing the ball to their athletes down the field. They're making plays. I'm not saying to do it every time. I'm just saying there's no reason you can't at least – attempt to show that you're not scared to do it a couple times a game like it's a waste of Claypool to not give him that opportunity a couple times a game I think these guys overthink the, the game sometimes throw it catch it what I I just don't get it man I, I don't get we're playing in a box and it makes it easy to defend when you know everything we're going to do is in a 25 yard rectangle that's it everything we do is in a 25 yard rectangle it's easy to defend that. Yeah, I mean, I I don't disagree. I uh... so is so is it is it Chip? Does he just not? Does he see something that he doesn't trust that we could even do? Like I'm just trying to figure out what he's thinking. Yeah, well, I mean, I do think it is more Chip Long than it is Brian Kelly, and I got in this Twitter spat over the weekend about whose offense this is. Um, and so, like, I do think it is chip to a certain degree because if you think about it, like, think about the, the quarterbacks that Brian Kelly named as starters, okay? And so, you know, Everett Golson is really, like, the first one. So you had Everett Golson. Uh, then you had Tommy Reese out of necessity but because Everett Golson got suspended. But then it was Everett Golson again. Then it was Malik Zaire. You, you see – and then it was Brandon Wimbush. Essentially, he had to play Deshaun Kaiser out of necessity. So do you see the type of quarterback that, that – I mean – I'm kind of beating around the bush, but you see the type of quarterback that Brian Kelly wants to, he wants the athletic type of quarterback that can run the read option is a threat in the running game. Well, to me, it's, it's chip long because Brian Kelly didn't want Ian book to be the starter. He didn't want Ian book to be the starter last year, even after Ian book went and performed well again in the citrus bowl against LSU and saved our rear ends in that game. He didn't want Ian book. So uh, to me, it's, it's, it's a chip long thing. And that's what, I mean, I, I don't I it's in big bold letters to me that this is Chip Long, his offense. Obviously Brian Kelly signs off on stuff, but at the same time he's giving his offensive coordinator autonomy. So to me well, it's Chip he Long. Needs to, he needs to sign a different document then because well, I'm kinda tired of this one. I, I, I'm beyond frustrated. And I agree with that too. You know, and I Ben think... Ben, 
if the, the cupboard was empty and we didn't have really good athletes, I could understand doing this all more. But the fact that I know we have athletic players that can do a lot of things, I'm just getting really frustrated that I don't feel like they're put in a position to be able to be fully utilized. And it's real. It's double annoying because of that. It's not like we have no talent. Yeah, and it's not like we don't have talent coming in. I mean, we're talking about next year you'll have Tyree and Johnson. Tyree and Johnson, and then if Komet comes back, and then you'll have Michael Young. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm hoping Tyree can help your running back problem right away. That's what I'm hoping for. Give him a chance. I think both I think. of those guys should see themselves in the offense quite a bit from day one. Me I would, too. I, I think, think those guys should be the Kyle Hamilton of next year. That's Absolutely. what they should. Absolutely. I think they're too good to take off the field. All right, let's switch to defense. Okay, here's here's where I'm going to start. I am ultra impressed with what Clark Lee has done, especially with all the personnel losses we already talked about. And the thing I think I'm most impressed with is Clark Lee. Unlike the other two units on this team, makes noticeable in-game adjustments that have positive results. And that is very impressive to me and my tip of the cap to him because he's turning this defense into the rock of the team again. And I see him making all these adjustments, and I'm just impressed. Notre Dame needs to do whatever they can to wrap this guy up and keep him around. I'm very impressed. Yeah, I I can't really add a whole lot to that because I feel exactly the same way. To be honest with you, uh, I was having a conversation with someone that says that said, and I I mean we were talking about this and basically like I would love if Notre Dame made like Clark Lee the like head coach in waiting <laughs> if that's what it takes to like keep him around, kind of the way that like Ohio State did with Ryan Day, uh, and just said hey whenever Brian Kelly Kelly leaves you will be the head coach and. That would be something that I would do. That would be a conversation I would have because it's it, – I mean, it is truly remarkable. Like we've seen – I mean, obviously in 2011, before the championship in 2012, we had a great defense. We've had other great defenses here and there. Uh, we had a really good defense last year, and then we were worried about major holes, and we got a really good defense this year that, you know, even when a team gets one on us, uh, you know – then there's adjustments made. I mean, Louisville came out. We didn't. I don't think they necessarily knew what to expect from Louisville. They had Notre Dame on their on their heels a little bit. Got them for a couple touchdowns, and then just it was just absolute shutdown. I think the same thing kind of happened with Virginia. Absolute shutdown when it needed to happen. And by, I mean, we played against the third best team in the country, who might be actually better than the third best team in the country. And it took Jake Fromm making championship level drop in the bucket throws for them to beat Notre Dame. They still only put up 23. Um, and if we had a better offense, we would have won that game. So the defense is playing at a championship type level. I think it's going to continue as long as Clark Lee is here. And as long as, or as long as, you know, I mean, maybe it doesn't have to be Clark Lee because I, honestly other, there's going to be other programs around the nation looking at like, wow, this guy's a really good coach. Like let's get him in there. Um, so I mean, maybe it doesn't have to be Clark Lee. Maybe it's one of his predecessors. I don't know, but I think that, uh, the defense is, I mean, I mean that I don't want to go back to talking about the offense, but that's why I'm so frustrated with the offense. It feels like we're wasting this defensive talent that we have. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, if you do a little bit more on offense, you win the Georgia game. I, I mean, I just, I, 
It, it's it's frustrating, but but at least defensively, it's really encouraging to me that I trust what Clark Lee's doing. I trust him to make the appropriate adjustments. Um, there's no issues with effort. I mean, these guys are out there playing. I I, I couldn't be more impressed with where they're at right now. And, and the other thing, too, is there's a little depth that I think was unexpected yes. quality depth that I didn't know we had. And, I mean, you on that defensive line, they're rotating guys in, and those guys are making big plays. Mm-hmm. And and that is super encouraging. And like you said, there's more good players on the way. And so I'm, I dig it. I love it. I respect it. I admire it. And it's noticeable when they come out and make changes and adjust and tighten things up and kind of settle in. And 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 it just that makes my head pop off my neck about the offense that I just don't see it. They come out and do the same nonsense. Yeah, I I, I, <laughs> I agree. I mean, we've said this on this podcast already, but I just brought up the Notre Dame depth chart, and I'm looking at the two deep on defense, and everybody that they've got two deep on defense. I mean, are guys that we've seen in limited type roles playing well, um, and uh, I, you know, I, I just I keep going back to this like the next year I think they're going to be just as good and we just got to figure out the stinking offense and like I say at, at this point it's it's frustrating that you got to fin- you got to figure out the offense and I I don't know where the answers are to be honest with you I I just I do not want let me ask this do you think there's any possibility they find a way to keep Clark Lee and let him take over when Kelly eventually calls it quits like I honestly don't know or have an opinion on it. I'm asking do you think that's realistic I think so because I think uh, – I mean I don't know that Brian Kelly is going to coach a whole lot longer. I mean they restructured his contact, contract through this season and I believe the next two if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if you know that off the top of your head or not. But they restructured that contact, contract which sort of tells me that like he's sort of thinking, all right, I'm going to you know, finish out this contract. I'm going to be the winningest coach in Notre Dame football history if I stay on the same uh, – you know, the same keep winning at least nine or ten games a year and which I mean there's no indication that he won't. And then I'm gonna ride off into the sunset with a pretty good, you know, a pretty good career under my belt and then I'm done. So I don't think like I don't think Brian Kelly I don't think a change is imminent at head coach, but I also don't think, you know, when we're playing like Ohio State in twenty twenty three, I don't really think Ohio or Notre Dame is gonna have Brian Kelly as the head coach, I suppose. Um, so I think you could say that to him that, you know, Hey, listen, like you could go and you could be a lower level, um, you know, head coach at a, you know, a group of five school or something like that. Or you can just wait a couple of years and be the head coach at Notre Dame, which would you prefer? And if I'm Clark Lee, I'm staying at Notre Dame, but I, yeah, I, don't, just, know. I don't know if people, I don't know enough about Clark to know if people think of him in that way as the CEO guy, like his personality, like I just don't know enough about him, but I've heard him being mentioned for like, you know, Mac jobs and stuff like that. And, and it just crossed my mind. Like, I wonder if that's a a possibility and a way to maybe keep him along and have a smooth transition that ends better than Holtz to Davey. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And I mean, I think that Notre Dame's at a point where I mean it's it's like a higher within type of a thing when Brian Kelly moves on like 
And who are the other candidates? I mean, Chip Long? Well, <laughs> he's not really uh, – I mean, <laughs> please, no. Um, Tommy Reese! Tommy, Re- <laughs> Tommy Reese might actually make a pretty decent offensive coordinator if Chip Long were going to move on, to be honest with you, because I think Tommy Reese would call more of the stuff that Brian Kelly used to call that I think was more effective even than Chip Long is calling right now. So, I don't know. <laughs> so – yeah, I, I, I just I, – I hope we don't have an Elko situation kind of brewing here well, with Clark see, Lee. That, that's, that's what prompted me to have this thought is to find ways to avoid that, you know. Right, and I, and I, I don't know the full details on this. A Notre Dame person that I'm friends with uh, talked to me the other day about they got a uh, – some sort of a grant or something for the quarterback coach salary, um, and it's like $3 million dollars. And so I'm like, okay, so is Tommy Reese getting paid $3 million next year? And if so, what's going to happen to his uh, to his current salary? Is that getting repurposed? And, I mean, that was the thought, that they're going to do that and they'll have a little bit more money to spend because some, some like, outside donors, like, I'm giving you $3 million a year for the quarterback coach position, essentially. So, so maybe they feel like we do about that position and throw some money at the problem. Right. Uh, and so I – Maybe they want him to keep Tommy Reese. I don't know. I don't know what the motivation for that is, but, um, but I I don't know. But ultimately, I'm I'm beyond impressed with what I've seen from Clark Lee, and uh, kudos to him. And he's he's got his unit playing well. And I feel bad at times because they that defense deserves some more help from the other two units on the team. And right now, they're not consistently getting that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the other two units, uh, do you want to talk some special teams? all right so uh first off i said this on my show too i'm glad i was at the game because it prevented me breaking things in my home so (laughs) i seriously thank god that special that the onside kick something was getting broken so thank god that i was there and i had nothing to break or without risking getting arrested um so that's good, but here's the deal, man. I mean, you got missed field goal, strike one, muff punt, strike two, false start on a extra point, strike three, you're out. And then the onside kick, which is the worst of them all, strike four, you're out, or strike one on the next batter. I don't care which. But I have zero tolerance. All special teams is is effort and attention to detail, and I don't think it's too much to ask to be decent in that area. Am I Am I crazy? Tell me if I'm crazy. Why is that too much to ask? Well, not, oh. for, not for this, at least. <laughs> um, I don't know. Man, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, to me, the, the special thing, to the special teams thing was especially frustrating, given that they played a pretty pretty clean i think they're in the first three games there's like one kickoff out of bounds uh, maybe um but i think in the first three games like they played about as well as notre dame special teams has looked in a while and then they've got all these gaffes i mean the onside kick makes me mad because it's something that virginia saw on film that they noticed that guy just whoever that is over there loops in before you know the foot has made contact with the ball early and they just kicked it to where he used to be and like that just makes me mad because like I'm a coach all right and uh, granted I coach basketball but like as a coach 
you know, especially as like a special teams coach, I feel like like you, there's only so much of the game that you have to worry about, first of all. And like you're always looking at like, okay, how is a team going to take advantage of what we do? All right, and when you're paying a guy, and I guess I'm sort of calling out Brian Pullian right now, however many million dollars, like you're telling me that he couldn't think to like after watching his own special teams uh, for three games on film, like if he wasn't the opposing special teams coordinator, he wouldn't have thought like, oh, what happens if they kick a ball right where where that guy you know is supposed to be, uh, and he, but he takes off early. Like I don't know, that just makes me mad. It's just a lack of preparation. And like you said, it's a lack of attention to detail, and it's uh, – I don't know. It's its just maddening and, for a top-10 hey, so team. The, so the good thing is it didn't cost them the game, but but that little stuff, it just – it absolutely drives me crazy because it's just preventable. And you hit on exactly what I was going to say was I give Virginia a ton of credit. That's something they saw on tape from previous games and earlier in our game that Brown, our guy Brown – He's he's beelining it to the 50, leaving that entire sideline wide open. And that is terrific special teams coaching or an analyst, whoever's looking at that. That is finding a little way to steal a game. And and special teams can be a weapon if it's coached right and given attention and for too long, Notre Dame just wants it to be neutral. Not kill them, but they're not going to put a lot of effort into being a plus unit. Yes. And and they just kind of want it to be neutral. There's no reason that side, that aspect can't help you if you're paying attention. And that was the most perfect example of what I mean. Perfect. Couldn't have been a better example of how that can change an entire game. We were losing, and we're sitting there going, we're going to get the ball back. God forbid they make some changes at half. Maybe we could take the ball and go tie or take the lead. Before you know it, they had the ball going the other way on something that should never, ever, ever happen. And <laughs> I, I, this is kind of a sad way to look at it. And I, I mean, this is the loser way to look at it. But, like, <laughs> at least that put our defense, our dominating defense on the field so that they could go out and do what and they do. And score points because right. they're the only ones who do it. Right. Right. Yeah. It was yeah, almost like, like that's, that's the water where we're board. at. Like that's where we're at. We feel more confident with that. I mean, yeah. I know we're kind of kidding, but it's kind of sad because we're kind of not kidding. You know. <laughs> well, what's really sad is that like we, you and I are just talking about being adequate on special teams and not having errors. We're not even talking about being that being the Virginia in that situation and like finding a way to steal one. Like oh, get that. No yeah, way. Yeah. No. So so that's here's the thing, Ben. If you want to pay Brian Polian whatever amount of money you want to continue being recruiting coordinator, I'm totally fine with that because I feel like he's doing a really good job in that regard. Right. But spe- special teams, I can't handle it, man. That's like a pet peeve of mine that ranks up there with major league pitchers walking multiple guys in an inning. It's just I don't understand how you could be at that level and and not just do what you're the most basic stuff. It just drives me crazy, and I, there's still too many penalties, too, not just with special teams, but we had nine, and what, what's your excuse for jumping false starting? It's not Athens, and we could blame the sound, so I, these things just, they all add up, and they could cost you a loss at the big house. You know, like, you got away with it, but it's just, those loose ends got to tighten up. Wholeheartedly agree. Not really anything to uh, to add there. Well... 
Did we miss anything? We covered, I think, we covered my list. Yep, that's pretty much. Oh, you know what? Can I ask you one little thing? Yep. And I this could turn into a whole other hour, so we got to make sure it doesn't. Oh, okay, I'm strapping in. Okay, so I am a strong proponent of the idea that most years, one loss Notre Dame is going to be out of the playoffs. I think you're going to need to require two from one of the teams you need to lose on championship Sunday, and then you get in. I think most years Notre Dame's out with one loss. I also think that the one loss this year being to Georgia hurts their case, doesn't help it, because you're going to lose a one-loss tiebreaker to them if they lose to Alabama. Flip it around, if Georgia beats Alabama, they'll pull one loss Alabama in 100 out of 100 times over one loss Notre Dame. So do you believe in that, or do you really think they have a chance still this year if they run the table? That's my position, and I believe in it until I'm proven wrong. Um, I haven't really thought about this real deeply, which is different for me. Usually I'm always thinking about the college football playoff context. I've really kind of switched how I think about it to you know, where we are. Well, yeah, a, the, Clemson, the Clemson game will do that to you. Well, that's perfectly yeah, understandable. That's, that's very true. Um. Yeah, I, I did say this to somebody, uh, basically what you were saying, like whoever, assuming that Alabama and Georgia run the regular season table and are playing for the SEC championship game, uh, I think both of those teams are in. Like you might as well not even play that game because they're both getting into the college football playoff. No. And then you may as well put Clemson in no matter what then too. Just yeah. book that. Well, because, because they're – not going to lose because they play nobody the rest of the year. Well, right, but even if they did lose, then they're going to get that game on championship Saturday and get another win, and they're ahead of Notre Dame. So you could pencil those three in, and I didn't even get to how good Ohio State looks, Yeah, and I didn't even touch on Oklahoma yet. Yeah. So you tell me where there's wiggle room for Notre Dame. I just don't realistically see it unless weird stuff happens and one or two of those teams catches two losses. I just do not see the path currently. I sort of disagree about Clemson because they've looked bad enough so far this year at certain times that, like... But I don't think that matters, Ben. They can look bad, lose a game to a nobody team, win on championship Saturday, and they're still in over us. Even if they have a horrible loss to an unranked team, I still believe that's what would happen. I sort of agree, but, like, whoever they're going to play on championship Saturday isn't going to be any good. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, that's kind of like why... They played, they played Pitt last right. year. You know, like, wow. You know, even, you know, whatever. It's, right. So, so, and I didn't even touch... I mean, you could count the Pac-12 out if you think they're all going to beat each other up all yeah. year. But yeah. but the, the real kicker with the one loss to me this year is that the head-to-head to Georgia. People are saying, oh, your one loss is to this good Georgia team that helps you. In this way, it almost hurts you because either way that SEC goes, I think both those teams are going to be maybe probably it. Yeah. Uh, really, your only hope is that Michigan kind of figures it out. You beat Michigan, but Michigan overall figures it out and then goes on and wins the Big Ten because, I mean, you mentioned Ohio State. Well, there's Wisconsin too. So, um I don't know because I mean so uh, you know you hit the nail on the head I think like if Wisconsin if we're talking Wisconsin versus Ohio State in the Big Ten title and they're both undefeated well the Big Ten you know the Big Ten championship 
winner is going in and maybe even the team that loses that game. So now you're talking about two SEC schools, Big Ten. You know, I don't think Clemson's going to lose. There's your four schools right there. You haven't even mentioned Oklahoma yet. So I I just I I have a hard time seeing the paths, um, the path. And and I think it. It's weird because in a weird way, it would have been in your benefit to beat Georgia and have your one loss be somewhere else because then you would still have the tiebreaker over Georgia. Right. And I, it's a unique year in that regard. And, and we're assuming a lot of teams are going to do a lot of things, including Notre Dame winning the rest of their games, which you can't assume. But it's a fun exercise. And I got people tweeting at me mad that I say this on my show and they really think we're right in there. And I'm just, the way I'm seeing it shape up, I have real doubts that it's feasible this season. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, but I will say, I mean, every year, like, it looks uh, it, it looks like it's going to be difficult. And every year, some, for, I mean, not necessarily it, it for Notre up, Dame. It ends up kind of working out. Right. I know. But, but, but you know what? This might be a year, though, where I see a bigger gap between kind of the haves and the have-nots than I've seen recently. Like, I think there's a very clear top tier yeah. and that I feel really, really good about as top and a cut above. And it's probably what, four or five teams in that, in that arena. Yeah. And so I, I, I just, you know what though, uh, that Wisconsin, Ohio state, I would be really interested to see that in the big 10 championship. Yeah. I just would all that Ohio state speed and see that against this power. Like I, I would love to see that. Here's another point, secondary to uh, to what we're talking about. But, like, how stupid is it? People want Notre Dame to join a conference. Look at the stick in Big Ten. The best teams in the Big Ten don't even play each other in the regular season. So, I don't know. Like, how stupid is it that Wisconsin and Ohio State do not play a regular season game? Most of the time. I mean, they do once in a while. But, like, the way that the Big Ten works, they play, like, you know, two years they play each other and then they're off a year or whatever. And Ohio State sometimes goes years where they don't have to play – Wisconsin or Iowa or whatever it is. So I don't know. Yeah. That conferences. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I know. We we could we could talk <laughs> about this all day, but but that's just that's kind of what I see and that's been my position and even in regular years where the Georgia thing isn't an issue, I still think once Notre Dame lose that first game, then your scoreboard watching, it's out of your control. Yeah. And you gotta hope, you know, you print out the list and hope this team beats that team and that team beats this team. And it's just, but that's the path Notre Dame's chosen. You know it's harder, and you gotta pretty much go undefeated or be careful if you lose a game. Well, let me ask you this, and you know this could be another hour or two, but like, do you, are you strongly opposed of Notre Dame joining the conference? Here's here's my, well, I have thoughts on it and I have feelings on it, and they're not the same. Does that make sense? Uh, maybe. Here's my thought. My thought is it's clearly an easier path to the playoff in a lot of ways. It gives you the flexibility to maybe lose a dumb game. You have no business losing and make up for it on championship week. That is some padding Notre Dame currently doesn't have. On the So I think it, that would be an easier path to the playoff than having to go undefeated, which is my current position. On the flip side, if we did that, it would feel less to me. And, and I know some people don't understand that, but I wouldn't want to do it that way. I want to do it the Notre Dame way that's different. It would mean more to me to do it that way. So emotionally, I would feel less about it. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think I just a, I just would. I that, just would. That's a great way to put it, to be honest with you, because I don't want them to do it. Like I've been asked about this too. Like I, I don't want them to be in a conference. That, but you know, part a lot of the reasons that we've talked about as far as like why I don't want them in a conference. Well, like the NBC thing. Well, first of all, like nowadays in 2019, basically, I mean, except early season ACC network things that we won't get into, but like, you know, most games you can either watch live on your TV or you can stream. I mean, so like, that's not a huge deal anymore because one of the big selling points in Notre Dame is all of our games are nationally televised. Well, pretty much every game, if you want it to be is nationally that's televised. Not a, that's not a big deal anymore. Right. To me. So, so that kind of goes out the window um i do like being different i do like what you were kind of saying but if you told me for instance like and i laid this out on a podcast earlier that like notre dame was going to join the acc um you know full go and they went to like the acc coastal which i just pulled up it has duke virginia north carolina virginia tech miami florida georgia tech and pittsburgh in it and they played that schedule which is two four six seven games and then you, you know, still schedule USC no, no, no. or see, something now, like what, that. What are you going to say next? Because, see, I've gone down this path. You know who I went down this path with was Pigskin Pete, who has the Clemson show. Okay. And he's a good dude, and he's level-headed, fair towards Notre Dame for the most part. And the argument we ended up getting to was, what would Notre Dame do if they joined the ACC? What would they do with their non-conference games? I could see Notre Dame being ignorant enough to think you could do that and then instead of scheduling high school teams still scheduling usc stanford navy and pick your big 10 team you rotate it then you're dead yeah you're dead then so so you would have to give up all of that history that we love with usc and stanford to a lesser extent but usc and navy and so while those other teams in the conference are scheduling central, coastal, this or that, we would be scheduling these big boys. Then you're dead. Right. So if they did it to get the advantage, you would have to give up a lot of that, and that would be a tough pill to swallow. But so would us putting ourselves at a scheduling disadvantage by requiring we play those three teams when everybody else has essentially buys those weeks. Right. So that's where I got the problem. Yeah. Yeah, what I was gonna say actually was probably keep Navy because you can you can make that Navy game like your trip to California every year when you're not playing USC, right? So I would I would take those seven games, Navy USC, and then that's I, I mean however many games you got left, schedule right. the the fuddy duddies like Bowling Green and whatnot. So yeah, um, but but Ben, it would it would if we won a championship doing that, I admit it would mean less to me. It would, and I know that doesn't make sense, and especially to non-Notre Dame people that are used to conferences, that is crazy. When I tell that to Pigskin Pete, he thinks I'm a lunatic. But but you got to be a part of this to understand that that's like built into our identity, and I, I would honestly feel less about it if we did that and won it that way. I'd be like, we conceded that we couldn't do it the way we did it 100 years and we caved, and then it, it would seem like a shortcut, and, and it, it would not feel the same to me. I'm not saying I wouldn't be happy, but, Ben, I mean it. It would not feel the same. Yeah, I think that's 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 a good point. So, all right, well, I think we um, hit on pretty much everything that uh, we can reasonably hope to hit on. I mean, I know we could probably talk for another you know hour and ten, which is about where we're sitting right now, but... 
no one would listen to a two hour and thirty minute show or whatever it is. So, but anyway, I uh, that was I, I think another A plus talk at least as far as I'm concerned. Um, thanks. I mean, I, I like I say, I, I didn't really talk about Notre Dame after Georgia and after Virginia, and I was you know kind of like, do I have time to do two this week? No, not really. I wanted to get on with John and do all that stuff. So, I think this worked out really well. Um, I don't know. Is there anything? Uh, I don't. I don't really know how to sign this off. To be honest with you, no, not not really. The uh, a lot of people liked this because it gives us some depth and it gives us some pushback and it gives us little ways to bring different ideas in than when it's just one of us. So I I love doing these. I love it when you make me think of things a different way. Like that's the point of this. And so I love doing these. We can do them as much as you want to because it's it's fun. I love it. All right. Well, sounds good. Listeners, make sure you're checking out both the Always Irish podcast and the Under the Dome podcast. You can find those pretty well everywhere. So just type those things in. You'll find them. You're smart. You're Notre Dame fans. So um, or maybe you're not smart. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if I'm smart by being a Notre Dame fan or if I'm stupid for banging my head in a wall repeatedly. But uh, in all seriousness. Uh, so anyway, uh Listeners, thanks. Um, You can find us all over the web and that type of stuff. Make sure you're leaving reviews and all that good junk. So, um, you know, that's really all for me. Um, Hopefully, you know, I'll be back to a regular routine with my show. I know John always does. You know, he's pretty good in setting his routine. You can find his show on, is it Tuesdays that you usually release those? Yeah, usually Tuesday morning. Yeah, so I'll be back next week talking some Bowling Green. You can find John's show on Tuesdays. Maybe we'll do a crossover next week. Maybe we'll skip a week. We'll see. Uh, we'll have an important one with USC, you know, there in the middle of October um, that we'll like to talk about. Ben, I think we should do – we should definitely do something on the bye week to take advantage of that extra week. Ooh. We should def, We should definitely plan something for that. Absolutely. We'll, we'll make sure we get to that. So anyway, listeners, thanks. Uh, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate new and old listeners. We appreciate it all. So until next time, go Irish.